And now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have a question for us this morning. How many of you watch the Apple TV show Ted Lasso? You see some, okay, we got a few hands. If you are not a Ted Lasso fan yet, consider this your invitation to join us. Especially before our young adults are hosting a church-wide theology on tap to discuss the show next month. We would love for you to join us. And if you are already a fan, consider this your spoiler alert that I am getting ready to talk about season three, episode one. No major spoilers, though. It's okay. As season three begins, we see two very different European football clubs preparing for the upcoming season. In one scene, we see the rise in power of Rupert Mannion, who is the antagonist of the show, who now owns the West Ham Football Club, and his team is predicted to do quite well this year. And if you pay attention, you notice that Rupert's office is designed almost like a throne room. It's set high above the football pitch, away from any of the actual players. In fact, it's dark colors. The circular window behind his throne are actually meant to mimic the Emperor's throne room in Star Wars, the classic Return of the Jedi. But in another scene, we see the beloved and quirky Ted Lasso beginning his third season at AFC Richmond. And Ted is an American football coach from Kansas. And although he still knows very little about British football, he has won over the hearts of AFC Richmond with his quick wit and his optimistic spirit. And his office is actually right next to the locker room. He has a big window facing it so that he doesn't miss a single beat of what's going on with his team. He's surrounded by bright red and blue colors on the walls, and his signature Believe sign is hanging above the entrance to his office. And all through the first episode, we see this contrast between these two very different teams. West Ham has unlimited funds to do whatever they want with Rupert's wealth and status. AFC Richmond does not. Rupert buys his coach a brand new sports car because he's not impressed with his coach's car. He tries to get it towed from the parking lot, actually. While Coach Lasso walks through the town to work every day, stopping to talk to people all along his route. And then West Ham is projected to be one of the top teams this year, and AFC Richmond is projected to come in dead last. So the team and staff are all upset about the discouraging news reports and speculations about the year ahead. And so Coach Lasso decides to do something unexpected. He takes his team on a field trip where they go downtown and he has them climb down into the sewer system that runs below the city of London. 
Now, of course, everyone is groaning and covering up their noses as Ted starts explaining that there are 1,200 miles of interconnected tunnels and sewers that flow beneath London. And just when you think, what in the world is Ted doing this time? He begins to challenge the team to develop their own internal systems and to work together to connect to each other's tunnels, too. And then he says, all we got to do is learn to stay connected to one another and let anything we don't need just flow right on through. Of course, just as AFC Richmond is learning to let this negative press and toxicity that is surrounding them just flow right on through, a picture of Ted Lasso and his team going down into the sewer system goes viral on the internet. And so once again, you see this masterful back and forth between scenes, and we get a glimpse of West Ham rising even more in popularity while their coach makes off-color jokes about AFC Richmond at a press conference by comparing Ted Lasso to what flows through the sewer system. I'll let you all fill in the blanks there. And suddenly they are the laughing stock of the whole town. Now, you may be wondering, what in the world does any of this have to do with Palm Sunday? And so here's my point. In this episode of Ted Lasso, I think we see two very different approaches to power. We see one type of power that builds itself up at the expense or harm of other people, and another that is best expressed in building other people up. We see one type of power that is focused on status and wealth and always being on top and staying on top, whatever it takes. And we see another that is humble and unpretentious. We see one type of power that is all about the leader and the leader's status and another that is experienced best on a team and in community with one another. And I think it is the same dichotomy between two types of power that we see within the city of Jerusalem as Jesus marches in on Palm Sunday. Jesus enters from the east, but notice that his processional is made up largely of everyday people. People like you and me who have begun following Jesus of Galilee as he rides into town on a donkey. (laughs) And the people surrounding him and following him wave these palm branches in the air, shouting out Hosanna, which means save us, we pray. (laughs) Save us because we need a different type of leader. (laughs) Save us because we can't keep going like this much longer. They lay down their cloaks, they raise their hands up in the air because they recognize that there is something different about this Jesus man. And they ask, could he be the one to finally liberate us? But Bible scholar Marcus Borg reminds us that there is actually another processional that is likely happening around this same time as the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, also rides into town, into Jerusalem. Pilate would have entered the city from Caesarea in the west. He would have ridden in not on a donkey, but on a war horse, and followed not by ordinary townspeople, but by hundreds of decorated soldiers and cavalry. 
And so all at once on Palm Sunday, we see these two very different sorts of power coming to play. Jesus comes to liberate and to save, and Pontius Pilate comes to maintain law and order during the Jewish observance of Passover. As Marcus Borg puts it, Jesus' procession proclaims the kingdom of God, while Pilate's proclaims the power of the empire, thereby embodying the central conflict of the week, which leads to Jesus' crucifixion. But there's something else we see happen at Jesus' processional that we don't see happen around Pilate as he enters into the city. It's this community of people that wells up and begins to follow him, who lay down their cloaks, who wave their palm branches, because they realize that Pilate's power is all about the empire, but the power that Jesus brings isn't about himself or his status. It's about the people he has come to save. Another Bible scholar, Veronese Miles, says that the communal emphasis of Palm Sunday is unmistakable. It reveals the uncommon courage of common folk who have experienced a presence that is so powerful, a message that is so compelling, and a love so complete that they are willing to transgress the boundaries of religious and civil acceptability to make the journey with Jesus to Jerusalem. You see, many of them would have lived in villages and towns outside of Jerusalem. Some would have traveled from as far away as Jericho, and they sorely need the life-saving sustenance that Jesus so freely gives. His ministry has captured their imagination and nourished their souls in such a way. But then this moment, there, there is a turn because Jesus' voice here gives way to the voice of this community, this unremarkable company of friends and strangers who announce with unambiguous resolve that Jesus is the one for whom they have been waiting Maybe Jesus knows that peace and justice become possible when common folks with uncommon courage oppose exclusionary practices and policies and together stand with the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I was so proud of our youth who spoke with uncommon courage this week at the state capitol at a rally for our trans students Several of them spoke with the Associated Press with such confidence and conviction about the experiences of trans youth today. And I was so proud of our church. Over 50 of you made this journey to Frankfurt on Wednesday to stand together in support of our LGBTQ students. There's no other church that even had a group close to that size doing anything like that. No, we didn't wave palm branches, but we waved signs and banners, rainbow flags, trans flags, proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom that is for all people. Because Jesus' voice gives way to that of community, of ordinary people standing with uncommon courage against exclusionary practices and policies as we follow the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That is what Palm Sunday brings about in us, church. If you study different leadership theories, 
they tell you to watch how leaders use their power. They ask you to pay attention for when leaders hoard their power and keep it to themselves or when they're willing to let it go and share it with other people. For instance, there are some leaders who use their power to command, to dictate, to coerce, and to dominate others. We call this using power over others. But then there are leaders who use their power to empower other people, to share, to inspire, to challenge, to motivate. They call this using power with others. And I wonder if a good question for us to consider this Holy Week is, how are we using the power that we have been entrusted? And are we using it in the ways of Jesus? Some of you know that our friend Fred Bogert, who directs Friday Church, loves being out on the water. Put him in a kayak, sailboat, any kind of water vehicle, and he is in his happy place. And so I was talking to Fred this week about some of the rules of the water. Because I was so curious, how do you know who has the right of way when you're all out there together? Especially when there are no painted lines, there are no stoplights, no road signs indicating who goes first. How do you know what to do? And he said, oh, that's easy. The slower boats, like the sailboat, almost always have the right of way. And I thought that was so interesting. But he explained how the sailboat is at the mercy of the wind and dependent on that for its movement. But speedboats, motorboats, those kinds of boats have more power to help control their movement. And so they are always supposed to be on the lookout for the slower moving boats that do not. And I said, so are you saying to me that it is the responsibility of a boat with more power to be mindful of those with less? And without hesitation, he said, oh, 100%. If you're a mariner, you know this, and you are supposed to abide by this. It's like what we read in the Spider-Man comic series, when someone says to Spider-Man in his early years of coming to discover his own power, that with great power comes great responsibility. And so those in power are always supposed to be mindful of the sailboats, of those with less power. Like many of you, I've been so angry this week. I'm angry because over and over and over again, we are seeing the supposed leaders of our state and country cling to their power and shirk any sort of responsibility that it carries. They haven't been looking out for the other sailboats. We've seen yet another senseless school shooting taking the lives of more of our beloved children and their teachers And the politicians with the power to do something, to change the gun laws in our country, are boasting of Christmas pictures with their families, proudly displaying large machine guns with no sense of responsibility for what these weapons are doing in our country. Like I've said, we have seen an incredible display of courage as our teenagers from across the state led a rally at the Capitol to protest Senate Bill 150 which denies our LGBTQ youth gender-affirming care 
It denies them the safe spaces and support systems that they need within our schools. And so many of those with power to support these youth just walked on by that day with their heads bowed, not even looking over at the group, not even stopping for a moment to listen to what these teenagers actually had to say. And as soon as the school buses pulled out of the parking lot, by the time we got back to church in Louisville, those with power so quickly and so easily voted to pass the bill that will harm the very young people that they are entrusted to serve. And then we can't forget about the 86-page report from the Department of Justice, released just a few weeks ago in the Louisville Metro Police Department. It highlights how so many of those who have been entrusted with the power to protect and to serve our city have instead abused that power time and time again in ways that have harmed the black community and other marginalized groups in our city. Matthew tells us that the city was in turmoil when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And that sounds like about where we are too. I'm in turmoil over people who choose to hoard power instead of helping people. I'm in turmoil over people putting the second commandment over the second commandment to love your neighbor. I'm in turmoil about politicians securing their votes instead of securing the safety and well-being of our communities. I'm in turmoil over our leaders choosing what's best for themselves and e- instead of even stopping to think about anyone else whose life experience looks differently than their own. I'm in turmoil about people in power sending vain thoughts and shallow prayers instead of faithful action and just legislation. I'm in turmoil. But Matthew's gospel reminds us that turmoil is where Holy Week begins. That's why the people are shouting Hosanna, which means save us, we pray. I can't think of a year when I've wanted to cry those words out louder than I have this week. And so Holy Week asks us, what are we doing with the power that we have been given? And which kind of leader are we going to follow? Because while the empire chooses to march into town boasting of power and prestige, Holy Week invites us to shout, Hosanna, save us, and to follow Jesus along a different road. To lean into a different kind of power, as we read about in Philippians Holy Week encourages us to be in the same mind of that which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest name and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. 
Friends, this is the Jesus that we follow. He doesn't ride into town on a symbol of power and prestige, but in humility and love. And he exhibits not a power over, but a power with, and a power that is shared with all God's people. As Jimi Hendrix once put it, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, then the world will know peace. And so when everything is in turmoil, may we be people who follow in this way of love, no matter where the road may lead. Amen.